Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Alright, here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Coming back around again to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021, and you're listening to episode number 498. I will be your host this week. I am Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show is Mr. Bob Ryer. Feed me Seymour. Ah, oh, I love that movie so much. Joey Ricino is back. Yeah, you know, I was going to take another week off, but then Steve texted me. He was like, I can't do the show again without you. <laughs> Bob and Aaron, they're just like not holding up their end of the bargain. I need you back on the show. So, Steve, I mean, he said all these things. I can't confirm, but he I, said okay. I, I remember that as we come up to 500. I'll remember that. You know me. That could be your funniest thing about me. <laughs> could be. Uh, Aaron Amos is here. I'm not going to dump out this week like John did last week. Oh, and speaking of Mr. John Burkle, unfortunately, his invitation to this year's Hellfire Gala got lost in the mail. So Hellfire. He is uh, he's going to have to sit this one out. Uh, he'll be back. He's got a dance card with lots of spots, though. He's good to go. What was yes. that game in the 90s? It wasn't Hellfire. Oh, Crossfire. Crossfire. That game always seemed, I remember watching the commercials and even when I was like eight years old, I was like, that looks unsafe. Shooting these little metal balls at each other's eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. My friend Gary, when I was growing up, he lived next door to me. He had that game. And we used to play it all the time. It made the most insane clacking noise every time that they you pulled were, that trigger. They were the metal balls. <laughs> I know. And it like the hammer going. It it was nuts. You know what else he had? He had um, well, two things. Do you remember Fireball Island, that board game with the volcano that you put yes, the big yes. uh, marble? Yeah. yeah. He had that. And um, he had the animal, that, uh, that remote-controlled car that like grew claws and could uh, – <laughs> You know, try to inch its way over rocks and rubble and okay, stuff. Okay, yes. No, I do remember that. I don't remember that name. I remember that. The animal. Nothing can stop. The animal. Aaron's like, nope. None of it. I don't know where any of you grew up. This must be a New York thing. Oh, boy. All right. So this is episode number 498. We are getting... So close to the 500th podcast. Speaking of which, the polls, not the polls, the, uh, the phone emails. Lines. The phone lines. The phone yeah. lines are down. They're all the phone forward. lines are down. The phone lines are closed. We have your audio recordings. We have your emails. We have your questions. 
Uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody who sent something along and, uh, you know, wished us well and had really nice things to say about the show and about everybody that's come through these doors. And uh, we'll get into a lot more of that and more mushy stuff when we do the 500th podcast. But uh, in all sincerity, you know, thank you so much to everybody who sent something in or reached out. Uh, It means a lot to us. And it's going to be a really fun episode. We're recording it this coming weekend. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. All right. What? Is it though? Is it? Is it going to be good? Yeah, I'm going to be there. So, you know, it's going to be a good time. It better be. 500 falls on my birthday. And on Batman 89, what would that would be the anniversary? Yeah. 32nd anniversary. 32nd. That's 32nd anniversary. 32nd birthday. Wait, wait, you were born. Wait, you were born on the exact same day. Yes. Michael Keaton's Batman. Yes. Ooh, that that's karma that you're here, right? It's my claim to fame. It's the only show. Wait, how old are you going to be? Hey, I don't even know. You you said thirty two. I'm right? as old as Batman eighty nine. Oh my god, I feel so old right now. Hey, you oh. know why? Because you fucking are. Oh, lightning! Hey, Joey, at least you're born on Batman eighty nine's birthday. My birthday is Lon Chaney Jr.'s The Indestructible Man from nineteen fifty six. Not it's not at the same. Yeah, it's a classic for me, but not for anybody else. <laughs> Not that's even late, Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, that's late Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to see on my birthday what was the number one film the did week you, of my birthday. Bob, did you ever get a chance to read that Lon Chaney um, graphic novel biography that came out earlier? Oh this no, year? I, that, that was in my best of the year. I I adored that book. I bought it for someone as a Christmas gift. That was yeah. great. I did as oh, well. Pat Dorian, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I love the style on it. It's so fun. Okay. Well, all right. So you want to know what my movie is? Apparently, the number one movie uh, when I was born, Monster Squad. The, in the in that window, in that three day window, three week window, is uh, nine to five. Hey, working nine, nine to five. five. There's a funny, Lil- yeah, Louis Tomlin. Who else we got going on here? Jane Jane Fonda. Fonda, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get down with this. Dolly Parton wrote the song and then they made the movie. And she wrote the song because the the unions commissioned a song. Wow. Okay. Yeah, the the like the, 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 the working women, the working women in the I guess late 70s, early 80s, like they were forming union, forming, forming union unions. I can't say it. And it was Union 925. Get it? 9 to yeah. 5. And uh, they wanted a song. Dolly wrote the song and then they made the movie. As three working women who live out their fantasies of getting even with uh, with and overthrowing the company's autocratic, sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical, bigot boss. Dabney Coleman. Played yep. by Dabney Coleman. Yep, yep, yep. Cloak and Dagger Dabney Coleman. I love, I love that movie. And the musical yeah. version from a couple of years ago, Allison Janney was one of the leads. Hey. Now, here's Aaron, a, here's did you say you love 9 to 5? Yeah, he might. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> that movie. That's awesome. Now, Steve, here's the other question. What movie came out on the day you were born? Um, I, I, I probably have to mute my mic, but I can okay. try and figure it out. Well, we got lightning rounds. 
I always like- look back to that period of time as like that's when a movie like that could be a mega hit. Oh as yeah. As opposed yeah. to requiring like all kinds of like special effects and blah blah. I mean you have like what what was it like some of the biggest movies like Tootsie was like one of the Arthur was like one of the biggest movies. Yeah. Well, and and a movie like Nine to Five today would be like this, like indie darling. Like a few years ago, uh, I don't know if you watched. I think it was called like For the Girls or something like that. It was about yeah, it was about like you know this Applebee's type place or bar, and it was about the women who worked there. A lot of the same kind of thematic elements, comedy, whatever. Independent movie, like it was like VOD, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, you had. There was just like an array of the, it was weird because remember I think the reason why Batman eighty nine did so well is because it was unusual. Oh, you didn't have you know no. those and you didn't have superhero movies in in the theater. You didn't yeah. have those big blockbusters like that in the theater. And had, especially look, coming why, off coming off of Christopher Reeve's Superman is great, but it's still sort of comedic. Oh yeah, it's small. Michael Keaton's Batman really changed the game. It was yep. serious. And there were lines around the block, Joey. You were too yeah. young to know. Hey. You were hours <laughs> old at that point. <laughs> true, true. I was I didn't see Batman 89. But you know, you had like you you had Star Wars, you had things like Batman, and then you had Jurassic Park, you know. Yeah, like Jurassic the 90s Park. is really where you get that turn towards those like tent pole blockbuster. That's yep. what the studio wants to spend their money on. Yeah, there was still yep different opinions in some studios. You could still get yeah. a, a drama that made some sense that would actually make money. And that, and some were politically and socially relevant, whether it's Aaron Brockovich or whatever, where something mm-hmm. came out that meant something, mm-hmm. uh, which was a throwback to the 70s, things like China Syndrome or French Connection or those sort of deals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a rabbit hole. We should we should, we should dig Steve, ourselves out. Uh, here, here we go. Here we go. We're gonna, with his uh, what what was out on the day he was born. We're gonna cap it off. All right, we got a few, uh, some goodies here too. We got Foul Play nice. from uh, director Colin Higgins, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, Joel Schumacher, hey. Lily Tomlin. Oh, Lily yep. Tomlin. Yes, I love uh, that movie. Night School from Ken Hughes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yep. My personal favorite, The Howling from Joe Dante. Oh, one of my oh. all-time faves. Love that. Yep. Scariest werewolf movie of all time. And Burial Ground, The Nights of Terror. Yes, I, <laughs> I do remember <laughs> that. No, I, I saw that in the theater, I'm pretty sure. Forget astrology. It really speaks to you know our personalities, the films that came out <laughs> yes. the weekend of our birth. Yep. The Howling, Incredible Shrinking Woman. That's that's me. That's my Venn diagram. In your in your honor, I will watch The Howling after we're done. Nice, awesome, awesome. I won't. All right. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was like, I won't. No, oh, you won't. <laughs> but I'll still honor you. Yeah, you don't watch you don't watch horror movies, right? You and Joey. Yeah, it's not no. my thing. I don't I don't lean towards them. I think I only watch it if there's like. Uh, like a group of us together watching because it's the thing we're all doing, but I don't ever wake up and say, Hey, you know what? I want to watch blah, blah, blah. I chickened out on quiet place too. Uh, over Memorial day weekend. I was like, is this movie that's going to get me back into the theater? And a, no. I was super busy, <laughs> but also B I was like, I, I can't handle it. I can't, man. We're still not open over here. I am. I am. Oh, these movies are going to come and go and I won't even have the opportunity to risk seeing them in a movie theater. <laughs> Everybody's still waiting on their second shots out here. Well, uh, here, here we had, there was some great stats out today that of the whatever it is 
40% of people who haven't been vaccinated, most of them have, have not made any effort at wearing a mask in the last week. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Right. And we're opening up? Anyway, let's let's talk about books. Let's talk yeah, about some yeah. Let's talk about books. some comics. Let's talk about some comics here. Yeah. Um, let's see, Bob. Well, we'll stick with oh, you. Okay. Just a day. Stop that. <laughs> whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, Bob, you can uh, talk about uh, your books. Sensational Wonder Woman number four by writer Karina Bechko, artist Danny, with colors by Mike Spicer and letters by Ferran Delgado. By the way was a fun green issue as Diana investigates a company called Blue Ice that claims it can help reverse climate change. <laughs> and as it turns out, that's not a great thing because it, it's run by one of Wonder Woman's oldest adversaries, the Blue Snowman, and she's behind things. What? With some help from a surprise guest who is going to use this power for evil. Evil. For me, at least, uh, I'm enjoying Sensational Wonder Woman quite a bit more than the mainline series. And bring back a villain whose debut was in 1946's Sensation Number 59. Well, I, uh, there you go. Quick note, by the way, on Blue Snowman, who was created by writer Joy Murchison and artist Harry G. Peter. And she was a female scientist named Berna Brilliant, no doubt named after Olive Byrne, an important member of the Wonder Woman family. But here's what sets Ms. Brilliant apart from virtually every other baddie in comic book history. She would don this blue snowman armor, cross-dressing as a male villain. She's also in Power Girl number 7 by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, also a fun story to check out. Batman Catwoman number 5, Tom King, Clayman, Tumu Morley, and Clayton Cowles, was a completely batless issue whose two stories give us a nice Selena Harley interlude, as well as a double with Andrea Beaumont, a.k.a. The Phantasm. This is probably my favorite of the run to date, although, as almost all the others, it was marred by some questionable art choices, particularly in the case of a design for Catwoman's costume that features a, a detail that makes it seem as if she's bare skin from her collarbone to her Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, look at the picture. You'll see what I'm talking about. Really quickly, Mar Marvel Action Origins number two is a twin bill by Christopher Eliopoulos, Lana Suvani, and Sean Lee that retells the origins of the Green Goblin and Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. Both stories blend elements from the canonical comics and the film versions into something pretty perfect for young readers coming to these books from the movies. So as usual with these YA versions, well, well, look, you know, well done, Marvel and IDW. That's it for me. All right. I've already got two potential episode titles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll go through them later and we can vote. <laughs> All right. I've got two questions for you, Bob. Oh, oh, shoot. Okay. I, well, I, okay, this is a question, but tell me, I'm looking at some Google photos here. I am very interested in this blue snowman. I have, I, I, I did not know about this character until just now. What can you tell me about them? Again, uh, all the way back to 1946, she was a brilliant scientist and in an era where um, 
females in those professions were denigrated, pushed aside, all those sort of things. Joy Murchison, mm-hmm. who was the first female writer on Wonder Woman, but uncredited until they did the research for doing the omnibus volumes and the, the Masterworks archives, whatever you want to call them. She, you know, Dr. Morrison was ill at that point, and she, she was writing the stories, but he was throwing ideas at her, and they were bouncing back and forth. It was they created a villain who would address the whole idea of well, a female scientist can't can't get any work and can't do this and that, and so now in her aggravation, creates a male identity to do really bad things because that's what you do in comics. Okay. Some of this goes. I got actually ties into the original origin of the Valkyrie when she was the Enchantress. She was uh-huh. not not paid attention to at work by her male superiors, and worked too late. And then you know she spilled a vial of junk and and fell asleep breathing fumes and woke up as the Valkyrie. Except she was actually the Enchantress and was all bogus, and that was bad. Uh, sorry. Sorry. What was your second question? <laughs> or, no. or what's the follow-up to your first question? Either way. No, I just, I'm looking at this image, and she's in the suit, and it says, a day to celebrate shackling yourself to someone else's shallow opinions. It's insulting. <laughs> See? There you go. Working nine to five. Yeah. I love it. The blue snowman. The Blue Snowman. I am a fan. I am already a fan. And um, so this this sensational Wonder Woman, was there an upgrade to the suit? Because I think I'm looking at a panel. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, a, oh, a white version. Yeah. Way back, it, it was rather simple. Now, right. Now yeah, I love the top hat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the top hat. Oh, oh bowler hat. Yeah. We, we are now in, you have to be more scientifically accurate. So he's, she sort of looks like Mr. Freeze, but that's the thing. Yeah. She does look like Mr. Freeze. Yeah, this um this version I'm looking at, she kind of looks like a portal villain or maybe something yeah. out of Wally. <laughs> okay, pretty but cool. again, admittedly, forty years before either one of those. It's pretty cool though. I, I every time you talk about sensational Wonder Woman, I think about diving in. I should really uh We're only four get into issues, we're only four issues in, and there may be some surprises moving forward. Things keep changing over there. It's a lot of fun. All right. Um, and my other thing was, um, I apologize. I cannot remember who sent this message, but we did have a listener ask about the Marvel action comics, specifically the Captain Marvel stories. And do you think that these comics are appropriate for, uh, children? One zillion percent. Yeah. As someone, as someone who's bought them for children to read. They are they're appropriate for, I'd say about age eight upwards, and mm-hmm. as 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 you get older, you, there are more layers to it. But it's in the old way of comics, enjoyable for everyone. The uh, the great majority of the Captain Marvel ones ha- have featured art by Sweeney Boo, so that should tell you where we're at. Yeah, great. Nice. Marvel action chillers that we talked a lot about right, with too. Jeremy Whitley. Also, yeah. Yeah. tons of totally. fun, great for kids. Absolutely, and, uh, and I don't know if because IDW does the Marvel action. They also do the Star Wars Adventures books. Yes, same thing. Star Wars universe, great for kids. Uh oh, Burger King is trending for some reason. <laughs> that can't be good. The only thing with the Marvel action books, they are sometimes hard to find on the shelf because yeah. they're mm. ordered in smaller numbers. So if you find one and like it, and you're in your store. 
pre-order. Ask about it, yeah. Right, pre-order. Or there are trades, and the trades come out fairly quickly, and they, they collect entire arcs. Oh, okay. Interestingly, I, I saw when I was doing the, the previews list this week, IDW does the single issue releases for the Marvel actions, but then the Marvel action trades were put out by Marvel themselves. And I yeah. was like, man, Marvel's getting the best of all the worlds. Well, <laughs> this is true. Just want a piece of that pie, man. Yeah. We got to get um, theirs. Bob, did so? Are you reading like the main Batman book at all, or just the the, the other one? No, I'm I'm on the Tom King Bat Bat Cat run. Yeah, yeah I've yeah, I've yeah. not come back to Batman since somewhere in the '90s, I guess. Yeah, that book is on fire. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> this this past issue was just like Ghost Maker and Harley, just like shooting the breeze for like five pages. I was like, I'd, I'd read this. I'd read this whole book. <laughs> It was pretty good. It was definitely pretty good. It's so fun. I've really come around on Ghost Maker. I enjoy that character now. Once once he chilled out a little bit. All right, but here's the thing. And and this is the issue where I was like, oh, oh, it's like Phantom X. Like, it's just like, it's like Phantom X meets Batman, right? Which is funny because like Phantom X was always kind of like a Batman, but weird. And then now Phantom X is like reversed back into it. And now it's like, because... There's this part where Ghostmaker like goes off panel. He's like, let me slip into something more comfortable. And he just puts a half mask on and like a towel. And he's like, I'm good <laughs> now. Good. And I'm like, this this book is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm loving it. Oh, the backups so are really good too. It's so good. It's so good. And the best part is that like Batman is just like not effective. <laughs> and it's anytime I read a Batman story and Batman is like kind of dumb i love that i love that i love when people call batman out on his crap i love when batman's kind of like not at the best of his ability i like when batman's like kind of getting one-upped because then when batman does pull a fast one like he did at the end of joker war it's like there he is there's my there's my boy bruce (laughs) let me let me ask you a question and and uh, you know this might be dumb considering that i've been reading this along with everybody else but For a long time, the way that these issues are starting is we find Batman with Scarecrow and he's tortured. Right. Okay. So is that a situation where he like that's the him trapped in the room and then everything else that we're reading is what came before that? Yeah, I think so. I think that the, the framing device, the framing device is that it's Bruce in some future getting wrecked by the Scarecrow. And we're flashing back to how he's get he's going to get there. Um, okay, that's what I thought. What I find most interesting about the Batman stuff is all of the the Peacekeeper stuff from Infinity Frontier. What was it? For Infinite DC Front Infinite Frontier Universe, something like that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like it's just Infinite Frontier. It's very clear to me that the Batman Infinite Frontier plans are still true. <laughs> and everything else, they were just like, else? Well, who knows? What could have been? Yeah. But in Tynan's Batman, he's like, no, no, what could have been is what's happening. And, and we're doing it. Because uh, you're getting a lot of the, the Peacekeeper stuff um, in, in these issues. Which, again, 
even when we were reading Infinite Frontier, was some of the cooler stuff, and I really liked. So I have to catch up on Batcat, though. Um, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm it's, it's, a, I it's a fun. It's a fun read. <laughs> It, it, but you know what? Wait for the trade. Don't buy, don't buy a whole bunch of five dollars well, shoes. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'm waiting for it to be on um, DC Universe because yeah. uh, same thing with like I stopped reading Rorschach. You know, I stopped reading um, Adventure Strange Man. Adventures. Yes, yeah, yeah. Is it Strange Adventures? Is that what it is? Yeah, Strange Adventures. Yeah. Um, I I just I, I couldn't I couldn't keep up with them. Price tag be damned. I just couldn't keep up with them. Yeah, man, it's not it's not easy. You know, we read a lot of stuff every every week. I'm trying to reevaluate my pull list and, uh, you know, take things off as I see that I'm collecting and not reading. Um, I've been trying to do better about that. I really liked Strange Adventures and I really liked totally too. So I do want to pop back in. Yeah. I mean, you know, grab it, grab it on. uh some kind of sale or when they reach some kind of, you know, milestone marker of the arc or the story or whatever, and then uh, have at it. All right. Let's see here. So um, anybody have any other questions or comments for Bob? Nope. Nope. All right. Aaron, I want to get you, I want to get you in here. Are you ready? The return of the Pikachu. (laughs) (laughs) What are you, uh, what are you wearing to the Hellfire Gala this year? Let me tell you something. It's backless. <laughs> There's lots of feathers. Lots and the Pikachu's out. And the Pikachu's out. And the Pikachu's and, out. You know, no, the Pikachu's the only thing covered. <laughs> <laughs> With the feathers. Very nice. Hey, 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 listen. Billy Porter gets tips from me. Anyway. <laughs> all right. All right. I love Let's it. See <laughs> Let's see if I can pull this mess together. All right. So we know what it is. We know what this, I was going to say this week, but it's going to be this eternity is going to be in the X-Men universe. And I know that I should put a a trigger warning for some people, but uh, we are going to talk about some X-Men. So I'm going to start with, so let me just level set everyone here. So we all know it's been advertised and announced forever and ever and ever that the Hellfire Gala was coming and the Hellfire Gala throwback to something that's happened in the past in the X-Men books, but maybe with a little bit of a different twist was going to um, change the direction. If you want to call it that, I don't know. We'll just, we'll just call it that change the X universe forever. You know, something's going to happen here. And so, you know, this week's books were exactly what happens in the beginning of a big gala. You get to see everyone who's attending, all the, all the guests are arriving. And I'm going to start with Marauders number 21. I'm going to work through these. There's going to be three books here. So I'm going to start with Marauders number 21, uh, Jerry Duggan, John Bolton, Matteo Lally, and Chris Claremont. Ooh. A little bit of a backup there. So essentially, you do start with uh, the guests arriving. Um, and, you know, and, and you can tell the writers are sort of hinting at some of the things that have happened in other books. You have Reed and Xavier, you know, have a little glance at each other. You have everyone's outfits being sort of on display. Uh, Reed whispers something into Xavier's ear that, you know, got Xavier all shook. But I'm like, aren't you a psychic? Shouldn't you have known what he was going to say? Anyway, but, <laughs> you know, but what else? Um, it just sort of really begins. It begins. These exchanges begin to set the stage for some of the relationships that I think are going to play out in the book. You had a little exchange between Franklin and Kitty. 
which was cute. Yeah, Doom showing up all annoyed and just angry that he's at this thing for the X-Men and, he, you know, whatever. Um, there's a craps game going on. There's just so much happening. But my favorite, I have to say, my favorite of this book was the the parts that set Emma at the center. Now, I have said in the past, I know this may trigger Joey, Emma has not always been my favorite person. But I have to say, Hickman has really made Emma, you know, a standout character you know, for me through these books, especially in Marauders, um, that relationship between her and Kitty and Marauders really sort of solidify that, that her, her space in this universe for me. And this, the pages that really set Emma as the center of this were just hysterical as Emma's going through and trying and, and doing all the introductions and meeting and greeting and, you know, doing press conferences and all that stuff. I can't remember. That might've been another book, but whatever. Um, just trying to do all the political things and say all the political things, but having to deal with things as they come up. There was this one exchange with Emma, you know, basically pointing out how they want to really just get their, the X-Men, I'm sorry, not the X-Men, but the mutants, because not everyone's X-Men. The mutants really just want to secure their place in the world and find their their legitimacy. And then you have the Shi'ar coming behind them and saying, congratulations on conquering the earth. (laughs) It's just creates this weird dynamic. Um, But it's, it's really, there's not a lot of, um, action and all that stuff in this book, it really really is exactly what you would expect to see on a red carpet type scenario. And there was this exchange between Emma and, well, not actually exchange, but with Emma and Cap that I just thought was hysterical. Um, and Joey knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think this book was exactly what I needed. Again, it didn't need to have all the action, didn't need to have all this, it just needed to have the stage being set, which takes me on then to Hellions number 12. Uh, Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia, Hellions number 12, is really just you focusing focusing on that team, but as they are the team that is not necessarily those that want to be, that that the mutants want to be pushed into the front, only the pretty folks on the Hellions get to go to the party. So you have um, Havoc and, I want to say a real name, but you know what I'm talking about. What's your name? The, Quanon. The, thank you. Her. Um being allowed to go to the, the 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 Hellfire Gala, and it's got the others feeling a certain kind of way, um, but it's understood. Um, it's got Havoc really asking himself, "Why am I on this team? I I, I see myself as being number." And it's just, it's a struggle he's had this entire the, his entire run. Why am I being relegated to to this bunch? Uh, aren't I normal? Why am I not seen as normal? Why am I not sitting next to Scott? And this is a conversation. This is a topic that he sort of touched on over and over again, and then everyone else sort of looks at him like dude, you're crazy. Um, but he never wants to see it. <laughs> he doesn't see it. Um, he keeps asking questions about Madeline Pryor. Again, it's really just a relationship book. There was not a whole lot of action in this book, but it really was just giving you an insight into these characters. Um, you know, the pretty Hellions get to go. The not-so-pretty Hellions start feeling a certain kind of way. They decide to crash the party. Nanny is pissed. The others are pissed. Wild Child is pissed. There's apparently some awkward glances between Wild Child and Aura. Uh, you know, things start to pop off. It's just, it's hysterical. So you think, just when you think that is kind of the the meat of the book that you're you're going to get, there's a little shock ending with someone who we thought had been sliced up is hanging out. And you're like, oh, okay, where is this going? Um, so I, again, just continuing down that path. But then we come to X-Force. X-Force number 20, Ben Percy, Joshua Cassera. Okay, I'm going to say this first. That opening scene with Quentin and Tony Stark triggered me because I really wanted Tony Stark to get booted off that island. But whatever. 
uh, because his elitist entitled bastard ass walked in there like he owned the place. And I'm like, no, ass, you're on someone else's island. But anyway, um, we move past that. Again, some of these scenes are being replayed over and over again in each of the books. It's that whole, whole guest re, you know, appearing, all that stuff. But what we get to see in this book is a return of Beast. And as you may remember, Beast sort of took a little little detour off the path of sanity a while back. Yeah. Um, started, Years um, ago. Yeah. Started uh, doing some shady things over there. I say he's, he's getting into some black things. science, man. I mean, yeah, it, he, he, it, it went a little afar. It went a little left of center there. I mean, his objectives were, were good. It was almost, um, I sort of liken it to, uh, Tony Stark in, in the MCU where he says, we need to put a suit of armor around the planet. Um, that's kind of the path that Beast has gone down, you know, by any means necessary. I will protect mutants, even if it means I get my hands a little bit dirtier than even the people who get the dirtiest want to get. Um, but once again, front and center in this book is Emma. She's always watching. She's always keeping her eyes on things. And she 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 lays some things down in the end in the most fashionable way that I thought was just continuing to make her grow on me. You got some really funny asides, though, with uh, Deadpool and Wolverine. I think I would just recommend this book just for that scene alone. Just just for that scene alone. Um, but, again, going back to Beast, this book is sort of setting him off on another path again that I think is going to reverberate probably through what the big announcement was um, you know, in the book, uh, in the Marauders book that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, but some of what he did that got him, you know, some side eyes from some of his other X-Men folks is coming back to haunt him here. He doesn't even know it yet, but I think that's going to, that's going to play itself out. And I think the impacts for beast, as far as, you know, his place among the mutants is going to be permanently going to be permanently, um, well, going to have a permanent impact. Um, I, I just, I think these books did what they were supposed to do for this, for, for this point of the story. I, I don't think you're supposed to get, I think your whistle is supposed to be wet for this, for this, um, part of the story, but I don't think you're supposed to get a whole lot of, you know, closure. Intrigue. Not supposed, you're not supposed to get yes. soaked. Intrigue. Exactly. Intrigue. Exactly. Um, again, <clears throat> at the end of Marauders, and I apologize, I meant to mention this earlier, at the end of Marauders, there was, um, there's a time jump. There's a little bit of a skip ahead um, after all the shenanigans are going on, you know, with the party guests getting to, you know, mingle. Um, and we are led to believe that the X-Men finally made this major announcement, not the X-Men, I'm sorry, mutants finally made this major announcement that got the rest of the world shook. You know, the people that were there that, you know, we already knew didn't really trust them, trust them even less now. People who were a little shaky on them are still a little bit shaky on them, but maybe a little bit more so. Um, it's it's going to have, it's clear that, they're going to be short on allies, you know, in for a lot of this. So I'm curious to see where that goes. And um, they always were. Do you have any theories? Uh, I don't know. I went, at one point I was thinking, okay, I wonder if this is kind of where the whole sword thing was coming from about, you know, that where sword was supposed to take them into space and what they were trying to do there. I don't know. I thought, I kind of thought there was more like a, you know, maybe if we can't have our time here, if we can't have our, mm -hmm equality here we will find our spaces elsewhere but i don't know i, I might be overthinking it um yeah. i don't really have a, a full theory but i feel like it's it's clearly not them conquering the earth um but i don't know i it could be anything but i don't know that's kind of it i um i love the structure of it 
I love Marauder setting me up, red carpet, introductions, l- intrigue, whatever, time jump to the end of the party. Mm-hmm. And everyone and Cap's like, well, I never, <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, uh, I-, I love that structure because then there's like a four hour gap of what happens at this party. Yep. And then you read Hellions and you got Nanny pouring booze into her oh. head hole. And you have like, <laughs> everyone just doing these ridiculous things. And you're like, Oh, is this what sets it off? Right. And no, of course not. Right. It's not the Hellions being ridiculous. And then you read X-Force and you got beast doing his black science, controlling dignitary stuff with whatever. And you're like, Oh, is this what sets it off? And it's like, no, it's not that it's, so it's just like what I think we're going to get as we read through these different issues is as the hours of the gala goes on and we get introduced to these different, you know, uh, uh, like Rashomon effect, what's going on in the gala kind of situation. Nice. Uh, you're going to see like, oh, is this the thing that sets it off? Is this the thing that sets it off? And you're going to start seeing the kind of cracks and and breaks in Krakoa, right? Um, uh, and, and what's great about the X-Men and what's always been great about the X-Men is no one's ever liked them, right? Like they've always been hated and feared. They've always been on the outside. So it could genuinely be anything that sets it off. What yeah. I, I think it will probably, and, and even in Marauders, right? Like, it's kind of weird to me that it's like, welcome to the Hellfire Gala. Uh, all of these psychics that we have on the island, the five in one, say, like Marvel Girl yeah. uh, Prestige, we're going to get in your heads, everyone's heads, and we're going to have this cool ass concert. Yep. And the mutants are just like, isn't that cool? But in my head, I'm like, that's that's kind of messed that's up. Cool. That yeah. it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so, you know, it, there's a, like, every issue has like this piece that you're like i can see why the world would turn on these people right because again it's all coming from a place of you know we belong here we deserve our place alongside you some of the mutants granted are we deserve our rightful place as homo superior um but you know to 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 some extent emma's plan here is to it's a it's a debut it's a coming out right like it's you know we are here to stay we are a force to be reckoned with treat us as the power that we are and to some degree, I think that in and of itself is going to be what sets it off, right? I think that at some point, all of these humans are going to say this gala is a show of force. And that's going to be the – it's going to be all these pieces added together. Um, See, I think that in some extent, to some extent is this conceit of the book. I think that's a story that's being told maybe not of the, the, the primary storyline, but it's being told behind. So you have all of these so-called guests that are coming in here, these superpowered, world-famous guests that have come in here and watched the mutants over decades struggle with being accepted and being seen as normal, and none of them have done anything to help them. Mm-hmm. None of them have done anything to push forward. They have been allies, but they have not been, they have been quote unquote allies in name and word, but not quote unquote allies in action. Right. And I think part of the conceit of these books is that the X-Men are saying that it's like, yeah, you, you're okay with us as long as we don't create trouble. The minute we do something, and I've seen this, this is not just in this book. This goes back. It was like children of the, whatever. whatever. Avengers, Avengers versus X-Men 2012. Yeah, it goes but back to all these books, it's like the minute we do something that maybe you aren't comfortable with, then you want to get in our faces. But when we are trying to, uh, you know, sort of 
build our space in the world, then you want to make sure that we're not getting out of hand, you know, right. that we're, that we're not, we're not stepping out of our lane. And I'm like, I, I can see that being a point where they're, they're being sort of like, well, F it. If you're yep. going to have this sort of side eye look at us, no matter what we do, then we're just going to live our best lives and live, you know, to the degree that our abilities allow us to live. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have, again, I'll go back to my billionaire example before. If you're a billionaire, if, you, if you're Jeff Bezos, you are not going to live in a one bedroom apartment. You're going to live in the means to which you are accustomed. You know, it, it's just, it's just a reality. So I think right now the, the mutants are just like, listen, our abilities allow us to do a lot of things and we are trying to fit them all into the constructs put, put around us by mm-hmm. humanity. We don't have to do that. We got our own space. We got our own thing and we can, you know, in order to make our, ourselves autonomous, we can monetize some of those things. Um, we can enter into the world economy. They can either get on board or get over it. I can understand it. I really yeah. do. So, I mean, you know, and, and I, I think what's so unique about the gala and what this Dawn of X, Reign of X kind of run has been is it's couched that conversation in an, a kind of incredible new framework with the Krakoan Island and all of this medicine stuff and these, you know, different kind of other world and all these different crazy things, right? That central conceit though, it goes back to Avengers versus X-Men when Bendis was doing the book. It goes back to even when Matt Rosenberg did his like age of X-Men thing right before all of the Hickman Dawn of X stuff that I was a big fan of when Rosenberg and Thompson were doing those books and Brisson were doing the, the uncanny X-Men run. And Cap showed up in that book and, and went to Scott and was like, you need to check yourself. And Scott was like, who are you? Like, dude, like uh, we're just trying to literally survive. Like people are exactly. killing us every day. And who are you to come and tell me to stop, right? And what's really interesting about Krakoa and the Dawn of X stuff is, you know, one of the other things that I think is going to be a sticking point during the gala is that. Yeah, Magneto's there and Sinister's there and Exodus is there yep. and mm-hmm. you know all these bad guys are there. And I could see someone like Cap being like you can't be rolling with these people, right? I mean, how Dr. Doom is literally king of Latveria. Like, you know, it's like there's like the the kind of I think what what Dawn of X and Gala and all of this is is really unraveling is the X-Men calling the mutants rather calling out the hypocrisy and calling out the hypocrisy of allyship to use your your framing Aaron, which I think is awesome. Uh, And I think is again, very complicated, very complex, you know, like sinister's doing bad things, right? Beast is doing bad things. Like that is not, not true. But I think what Emma and Scott and the mutants are kind of saying, and, and Xavier and Magneto are kind of saying with Krakoa is, Mutants can be good and bad in the same way that humans can be good and bad. And we should be allowed to live our, like live that, right? Like, like the, the whole idea of, you know, you got to be twice as good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I think this book is kind of implicitly exploring as well. How many Avengers have checkered pass that no one seems to sort of point out? I mean, Hawkeye. Meanwhile, Black Widow. You, you, I was going to say Wanda. Wanda. Quicksilver. Right. Let's... Pietro. Exactly. All of them have checkered past. And you let them come in, in and out of that, you know, that little club of yours without question. For God's sake. I mean, 
The other thing, I mean, wasn't it in the Ultimate Universe where President Captain America basically put all the mutants on like radioactive land and said, hey, it's the best I can do? I, I, I stopped reading the Ultimates after Blob ate Wasp, so. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. I'm like 99.9% sure because that's what I was, just before they wrapped up the Ultimate Universe. I'm fairly certain. It was like, okay, Cap's like, I'm going to help you guys. And everyone was like, yay, Cap's going to help us. And then he's like, okay, here, there's this land here. And there was like, this land is literally radioactive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Sorry, guys, it's the best I can do. Toodles, and then walked away. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, all. it's 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 just it, I, I. It is very complex. It is very complicated. Nothing. There's nothing monolithic about the story. And if you're reading it for that sort of, you know, one layered, you know, position, then you're going to be disappointed because you shouldn't have that because that's not how society works. But I think they're doing a really good job. And I now think that's I'm almost certain that's why there are so many of these books, because they need the space to sort of express that complexity that yeah. you're in some of these books, you're going to get your heroes and some of these books, you're going to get your anti-heroes and yeah. some are just going to get your full blown assholes, but they're all on that same island. <laughs> you, But like you could, and I love that it's a universe where you could have the hellfire gala bit and then you can also have the hellions running around being drunk and, yeah. and like crashing the party. And then I love Ooh. that you can have this espionage inquire, you know, sage mm-hmm. stuff too. Like the, the, the spectrum of books allows for those different perspectives in, right. Which again is I think part of the central kind of conceit of the relaunch, right. That, yeah, Krakoa is a place for all mutants, good, bad, otherwise. And in order to tell that diversity of story and diversity of perspective, we need this diversity of book. I'll be honest. Every time Captain America walks in and tries to tell anyone how they should live, I'm like, somebody slit his throat. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Whoa. Oh, you want to kill, kill Damian Wayne, a child. You want to kill Captain America. <laughs> I don't actually want to kill Captain. I actually do want to kill Captain. Damian needs to go. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here really quick. Wait, no, let me, just two more points. I'm sorry. Just two more points. One point. Go. I love I love that Doctor Strange walked in and said, "Finally, I'm not overdressed." <laughs> yes. Yes. And the other point was Nanny basically calling Sinister an abuser, abductor, mur- and murder of children, and then had some wine. I love how she's drinking the wine though, just like pouring it in the hole in the top of her suit. I just like la la la. So she was like, "Do we plan on being this talkative all night?" She's like, "We do." Like, Fantastic. That was a great noise, Joey. La 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 la. All right, but um, go ahead, Stone. Yeah. Then I have Jesus. It's two. I got two small things to say to this giant conversation. Um, I live for the X drama. I really feel that these books are at their best when the X-Men and the mutants are just having one giant measuring contest all around, whether it's with the humans or with each other. And, you know, I was kind of like saying goodbye to a few of the X-Books over the past few weeks and looking to kind of inch my way away from some of them. And I knew this would happen, but when the gala kicked in, they got me right back because I need to know everything that happens at this party. Yeah. 
it's it's the most exciting time for any X book when this is happening, right? Like yeah. even going back to like Age of Apocalypse, like and and John and I have talked about this, right? When they do these through line story threads that then get spiraled out into the individual perspectives. Even something as simple, not as simple, it was actually terrifying and actually made for some really meaningful storytelling with like something like the legacy virus back in the late eighties or nineties. Right. Like again, just a story thread that permeated all of the X books and it wasn't the center of every story, but it was there. That kind of unifying feature is something that is really unique to the X corner of the universe, right? E for extinction and the, the Messiah complex storyline that went over like four years after no more mutants really unified those books and breathed new life into them in a way that, you know, ha- was faltering for a little while after, after Morrison had left. So, you know, I think that now when they were doing like the, the X-Men blue, gold, red, like those were spiraling off in their own, in their corners. And when Bendis was doing his two books, like there wasn't really that big umbrella and, and between X of swords and Hoxpox And now this, like, this is when the X books are thriving. And that really, yeah, it brings you back in because, you know, you you love the central story, but it's all those little perspectives and that just like wealth of characters that that make yeah. the line worth reading. And I so love I this. I love the sniping. Too. Oh, I do think, Steve, you make a very good point, though, about people walking in and sort of like the, the, the X pissing contest. But I think it's even beyond that. I think you have all these other superpower people walking in and they're just like, you're not better than me. You know, I, I got powers yeah. too, or I, I can do blah, blah, blah. I, I, there's, I mean, I think of Dr. Doom, this whole, you know, through the whole thing, basically like this is beneath me. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you're absolutely right. When they, when one of the things that I noticed that they're doing with these X events in particular is the writers are really paying attention to the histories of the characters and the, the personalities of the characters and that chemistry that they have with others, because all of that stuff, all of those problems and all of that drama is on display in these books. They find a way to naturally weave it into the story. It could be as simple as like a one panel joke or uh, somebody, you know, snubbing, uh, snubbing their nose at another person. And you realize that like that hostility is still there from, you know, however many months ago that that seed was planted. And now we're seeing that come out of the party because people are drinking, you know, it's like, it's, it's a little bit of a loose environment and whatever. And the claws are coming out and I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And the outfits are amazing. I love that. Uh, Emma had several costume changes. I thought it was great. I love Bobby's outfit, the whole ice, the full on ice outfit. I'm like, wait, did he give him? I'm like, at one point, I'm like, did Bobby give himself cornrows? I'm like, what happened here? What's going on with me? He got like the long hair, the long ice hair. I'm like, you're killing me. <laughs> All right. I think that'll that'll do it for uh, this week's edition of uh, Talking X-Men. Yeah. Stay tuned for next week's edition. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen, listen. Let me just put a little something out there. We haven't talked about X-Men in this in this level in a very, very long time, maybe, maybe ever on this podcast that we've, as long as we've been doing this and the show ebbs and flows. So if a few listeners are getting a little bit put out by a lot of the X talk, um, 
it's it's here to stay for a little while. So it is. It's the most exciting corner of at least over at Marvel right now, in my opinion. You know, I like agree. no, I agree. 100%. John's been talking about Avengers, and and that's kind of floundering right now. You know, the the King and Black stuff is done, and and I know there's some new stories about some like new directions happening with some other books, but for the most part, like consistency wise and 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 scope and scale it's the x-books right like you got daredevil you got immortal hulk you know you got these pockets of really great books yeah at marvel you know it's that's where it is for right now in my opinion yeah and it's also you know the the three of us happen to all be engaging in this right so there are there are a lot of opinions and a lot of things getting noticed and i don't know it's a good time um, just, you know, if, if you're a little tired of it, just hang on, hang tight <laughs> or join the call. Oh yeah. Or join yeah. us. Just, just Come fall down a rabbit hole. <laughs> all right, Joey. Yeah. A couple years ago, all we could think about were, what was it? The Inhumans. So that's all we were hearing about. Uh, not that yeah. we were reading it. No, we were. Exactly. No, no, no. Uh, and, and Joey, Joey and I have got some, uh, some indie picks for you this week as well. Speaking yeah. of. Joey, yeah. why don't you uh, come in with the lightning round? Yeah, I don't have a lot this week. I, um, I I spent the last couple of weeks. This book actually came back out in the uh, beginning of June. This is called Down River People. It's a graphic novel from Archaea. Uh, this is by Adam Smith and Matt Fox, um, who you might recall from a, a graphic novel called Long Walk to Valhalla, yeah. Which, Ooh, yeah. which hit this group really hard. Uh, I want to say almost – Three or years ago, three or four years ago at this point, Long Walk to Valhalla. Um, I'm going to look it up. I feel like it was longer yeah, than that. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, so this Downriver people, I'll, I'll read the pitch for you from Archaea. Uh, this is a, they're describing it as a gripping Southern Gothic thriller about finding your family and the true cost of happiness. Myers Carpenter is a bootlegger who just inherited his family's bar, The Flatbed. Unsure of whether or not he even wants to keep the famous speakeasy, Myers is forced to find a new booze supplier when he burns his bridges at his longtime source in Mississippi. The only option he can turn to is his estranged mother, a woman he hasn't seen since he was a young boy, now running a fishing lodge for the wealthy and a half-sister he knew nothing about. As Myers becomes more entangled in the lives of his newfound family, he begins to learn the secrets of the lodge and a dark cult thriving just under the surface of wealth and opulence." Um, so when this book started, I had no idea what it was. I saw Matt Fox and Adam Smith. I saw long walk to Valhalla. I'm like, I'm going to read the shit out of this book. You know, I remember (laughs) long walk to Valhalla, just really just ripping at our heartstrings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was good. Let alone the visual style. Um, but, but, you know, so down river people, I start reading it. I'm introduced to Myers. The book opens and it's basically like a, a, a memorial for his dad. His dad owned the bar very close relationship with his father. His father has, has, has passed away um, um, at his own hands. And uh, Myers is now very young, but wants to run the bar. Right. And he's hearing stories from all of his, his dad's friends about, about, you know, the bar and the importance of the bar. And I'm like, okay, so this is going to be a book about loss and, and coming to terms with, you know, the loss of your parent and things like that book goes on and and he has to get the booze his his mom comes back into his life and he goes to this this lodge and there's like this churchy cult and i'm like okay so all right we're still about the loss of parents and new family and then things get weird 
Okay, like things take a left turn into Spooksville, and I'm like, this is mad. Like this is spooky. There's some creepy stuff going on. There's some eye blood happening, and some yeah. like weird drugs. I, I was like, I'm losing my mind. I was like, this book takes a, a, a take veers off, and I'm into it. Um, it is truly gripping from start to finish. There are some incredibly abstract and 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 kind of symbolic moments in this book that um, play into those themes of you know finding oneself and finding oneself after losing like the guiding light in your life. Um, it's powerful. It is a potent, potent graphic novel, which I expected from the creative team. Um, if you're a fan of Long March to Valhalla, definitely read this. If you're a fan of like graphic novels that like, if you're a fan of um, Nate Powell, you know, we read a lot of his work on the on yeah. the podcast too. come away with me, things like that. Like, like that, that, that those stories that are set, you know, in the South or in the Midwest. And it has that kind of, Southern Gothic rural noir feel to it. Right. Um, the visual style complements that really inky, really deep. Um, but again, has this intense emotional trajectory, um, spooky, creepy, terrifying to some degree, but, but really, really, um, really, really powerful. You know, it's one of those books where like Myers, like, you know, he gets in a little, there's like a little, he's got to go to the police station after in one scene and he goes to the police station. It's like one of those scenes where he like says something and all the cops like turn their head at the same time kind of thing. And they're like, yes, we know <laughs> we're looking into it. And it's like, and I, I remember looking at that page and I was like, nope, this is, this is not what I was expecting. Um, really, really awesome book. Downriver people, check it out. Uh, the other book I read this uh, week, I, I picked up on a whim from Comixology when I was getting all of my, you know, $27 X-Men books and $50 mm-hmm. Batman books. I was like, oh, here's a 99 cent Comixology submit book called Feelers. Feelers number one. This is from James Wendelborn for a publisher called Dumbstruck Baby, which I'm assuming is just James Wendelborn uh, (laughs) on Comixology Submit. Um, This book opens first panel, old grandma lady asking, do you have any ecstasy? And I died. I was like, what is this book about? So this book is about kind of like this dystopian future or utopian future, if you will, where all of the emotions are pills. So you take a pill for happiness, you take a pill for joy. Like they bottled up these emotions and you can take them. Like if you have a headache, take some joy. If you want to look back and relive something, take some nostalgia, right? It's all like copyrighted emotions. And our main character, Baxter, he's one of the the makers of these emotion drugs or feelers. That's what they're called for Reininger, which is the company that's making all this stuff and is obviously an incredibly billion trillion dollar corporation. And Baxter's like, dude, this sucks. I hate it. Like, I, I want to find something new in my life. I, I need something new. He starts maybe like brewing some emotions on the side, selling some fear on the side, some of these negative emotions. And, um, you know, the question becomes, all right, so what what is his end game? Um, the subtitle to this book is, this is a love story. 
And Baxter, end of first issue, walks into Reininger and says, you can't fire me. You can't find me. You can't sue me for making these drugs because I found the drug that's going to change the world. Uh, And I'll leave it at that. It's a really awesome, vibrant, colorful book, kind of like Adrian Tomain style, for those that are familiar with his work. Beautifully drawn. Um, I was really, really taken with the kind of idea of this story, uh, the style of it. And I'll definitely be checking out issue number two. And that was my week. Otherwise I'm just like kind of catching up on some Marvel stuff and DC stuff on the side, but between gala and that graphic novel, my reading wavelengths have kind of been filled up. Yeah, man. And we have so much time too. Yeah, man. Uh, that uh, Downriver people sounds amazing. I'm going to need to pick that up. Absolutely. The uh, Long Walk to Valhalla was 2015. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So six years ago, July, July uh, 2015. So we probably talked about it best of 2015, maybe. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was nominated because that book. Yeah. I remember reading yeah. it. Absolutely. Hmm. I got that downstairs. I should go dig that up. Yeah. And Arkea's presentation is always so spectacular. Always, always. And 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 obviously, you know, six years ago now at this point, they're just better. You know, Adam Smith and Matt Fox are just better at their job, you know, and, and what they're doing. So um, it's just, I you know, I was, I was reading it and the book, it makes use of symbolism and motif and patterns in a way that I look for when I read graphic novels. You know, sometimes you read a graphic novel and you're like, oh, this is like a bunch of single issues stringed together, you know, like, and then you read a graphic novel, something like Dragon Hoops, for example, or something like this, you know, uh, 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 Down River People, where it's like you can see the, the, the circles and you can see the gears turning and you can see like the, the pages looping back on itself. And, and, I, I just am always so impressed at, 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 you know, people that do the like legitimate graphic novel, graphic narrative, long form format um, and really take advantage of, of all that that means for the, the structure of your storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's great. Check it out, man. Yeah. I'm going to add it to my list for sure. All right. Uh, any other comments or questions? <laughs> Nothing? Nope. All right. Nope. It is my turn. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. Oh, I got a whole list of stuff for you this week. I'll keep some of them short. Uh, first up on the list is Poison Ivy Thorns. This is a YA graphic novel written by Cody Keplinger, illustrated by Sarah Kippen. Uh, colors by Jeremy Lawson and letters by Steve Pwans. So I have no notes for this one. So I'm just going to go off the cuff. This is uh, an origin story of sorts for Poison Ivy. And it is a devastating tale with some very, very adult themes in this uh, YA graphic novel themes of hardcore misogyny uh also being trapped in your own home by your father and being experimented on in the middle of the night it is a pretty terrible situation 
that uh, Pamela has at home. And so at school, she's doing well, but she's also distracted. And one one thing comes to another, and she finds herself partnered with a, another young woman named Alice, who <clears throat> Pamela does something that basically forces Alice and her family out of her home, and she has to come and stay at Pamela's house. Pamela's father is not happy about that because there are things going on in that house that people cannot know about. And so, of course, this book is all about Alice finding out what's happening in the house and her and Pamela trying to keep the secret, trying to keep it together. Things are unraveling. And as Pamela is being pushed and pushed and pushed by the men in her life, she is spoiling and souring and basically uses her 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 science and her knowledge to the ends that we know her as becoming poison ivy and she kind of comes into her plant powers and her ability to make her own makeup and poison it and stuff like that uh, we meet the people who push her to do these things so it's um it's a very affecting story for sure the artwork is really uh incredible it's got this like fairy tale look to it that I really enjoyed. It's very in line with some of the other YA uh, DC stuff that has been released in the past, I'd say past year or so. And um, the one thing I'll say about it though, that I, I, and I would like to read it again to kind of really solidify my opinion on it, but I thought there's a, there's a relationship in this story that uh, I felt was maybe a little bit forced. There's a character that basically comes out and says, you know, I love you. I care for you so much. And I kind of found myself asking, well, when, why? And we never really get those answers. And so that maybe left me a little bit wanting. But other than that, it is a darker than you would think YA graphic novel from DC. Uh, one of the better ones that they've put out, I would say. I recommend it. Uh, next on my list is Bliss, numbers one through eight. I went back and read the whole shebang. This is a story by Sean Lewis with art by Caitlin Yarsky. This is the final issue. Uh, for those of you who don't know Bliss, Bliss is kind of this beautiful and complicated father-son tale that feels like a redemption story set inside of the next town over from Dark City. This final issue totally sticks the landing I was about three issues behind on this when uh, I did my whole reread. And man, Caitlin's artwork is just phenomenal. She keeps getting better and better and better with every single comic that she puts out. How she plots her pages, I don't know, but it is just nothing short of genius. And I also think that this is one of Sean's stronger stories that he's come out with uh, over the past couple of years that we've been you know, friendly with him and reading his work. Both of them as a team working alongside one another produce some really, really special stuff. And there is an additional story at the end of this last issue that really, really threw me through a loop. We've had Sean and Caitlin on the show a couple of times before, and we've all kind of talked about and around how we all have... Um, I don't want to say daddy issues because that makes it sound a little weird. We have interesting connections to our fathers and that comes out in this very honest and very telling story from this team at the end of the book, kind of 
putting forth the reason that uh, Sean felt the need to write this story. And it's the kind of thing that made me appreciate what I just read even more and then made me want to read it over again immediately. But I think I'll save my reread for toward the end of the year in case it makes it onto any lists. Hmm. Um, it's tr- it's it's a wonderful series. Uh, I can't wait to see or hear if they're going to get together for another uh, another comic. I I really do hope so. And uh, yeah, just a really strong series from start to finish. I enjoyed it a lot. And let's see. Okay. Woo. Sorry. I've been wanting to talk about this book ever since Tuesday of last week. This is without a doubt, one of my favorite comic books of the year. I really hope that this series continues on the trajectory that it starts off on, because if it does, holy shit, this is the nice house on the lake. Number one. Okay. Written by James Tyne in the fourth art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by And World Design. <sighs> so, man, how do I even begin to describe this book without spoiling it? This is going to be so hard. I might keep this really, really short. So, The Nice House on the Lake is... <sighs> It's a very now book. It's probably the most timely thing that I've read. So the setup for this is you're following a a young artist named Ryan, and she has met someone who in her life, they remain friends and they kind of touch base here and there. And they have these very intimate discussions about what it would like to be alive at the end of the world. What do you think happens when the world ends? What is that going to be like? And so this guy kind of pops in and out of her life for a little while, and then he disappears for quite some time. And she's like, all right, well, you know, I guess he got busy or, or whatever. And then one day she gets a email that says, hey, listen, I know if I know a person who knows a person. I got a friend who has this absolutely amazing house. Check out these pictures. I'm inviting you and 11 other people and we're going to stay there for the weekend and we're going to, or for the week and we're going to live it up. You guys are not going to believe this place. You are not going to want to miss it. I've been talking to all of you individually. So I know you're not busy this summer. This is it. We're doing it. By the way, uh, I don't want to cause any kind of drama amongst my friends. So I'm going to assign you all avatars and you're going to have code names and I'm going to pair you up with another person at the party and just come and have a good time. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be food. There's going to be activities. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have, you're not going to want to leave. You're going to have the time of your life. And so then we arrive at this party and everything is amazing until it isn't. (laughs) Until you open up Twitter. (laughs) Until you open up Twitter and you checked your damn phone and you found out something quite devastating and that's where i'm going to that's where i'm going to leave it ah. and i'm going to do the thing i'm going to do the thing listen everybody listen 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 you all know how i love to exaggerate okay i'm not exaggerating when i tell you you need to read this book and find out what happens it is so wild yeah. and not only is it wild it is so 
expertly crafted the way that this comes together and the the art for this book is so wild and rich and filled with like personality and danger and there's there's really awesome layouts too where like you're reading these emails and all of a sudden your comic book looks like a, a computer page with a bunch of tabs open and you can see the old emails on the side and the attachments for the photos and everything almost like you're opening them up at the bottom of the page um really 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 cool stuff going on with the art all around the overall look of the book is just jaw-dropping i really 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 love it i cannot express that enough there's some stuff toward the back third of this that careful careful no 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 no. i'm just saying it gets it's as good as it is it gets better yeah Yeah. i agree with that yeah yeah and it's just it's really really wild and it puts you in this this place of unease and disquiet and i am just obsessed i am waiting waiting for the next issue to drop so badly i um let me just uh joey i know you want to jump in here let me just like uh one of the things that i really really like and i said that it was timely as hell there are this 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 is the first comic that i've encountered i know other comics are being made and maybe other creators have done this and i just haven't come across those books but this story is actually taking place during what I imagine is the COVID-19 pandemic that we are currently living in. And so when Ryan gets to this party, she's walking up the driveway to this place after being dropped off with a mask on. There is somebody, another guest of the party, waiting with a temperature gun to take her temperature before she can, you know, be allowed to enter. And it just, it puts you in this place where this story could be happening this weekend. Yeah. You and know, maybe like, it is. Right. And like, and maybe like Saturday, this is all going to go down or Friday evening. This is all going to go down. And once that's in your head and you do a reread of this and you see, you see the way the dialogue is structured and how certain words are bolded or emphasized or whatever. And there are these little breadcrumbs leading you to what happens that you're just either like, how did I, how did I not see it? Or if you did see it, how, how clever those clues are laid out in the dialogue and in the art. There's a lot of telltale signs as you're making your way to this party. And I just, I walked away from this comic being so, so impressed Mm -hmm. with, with as far as a number one issue goes, I, I put this thing down and I was just like, bam, like that's, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's number one for me yeah. so far this year. Joey, before you jump in, I just want to throw something in here. You're, you're our English teacher and Steve, you just used the phrase telltale. Uh-huh. Joey, mm-hmm. you get the mask of the red death vibe at Girl and oh, Poe here. It's coming. It's there, right? It the whole, there's like, a plague and things are going mm-hmm. on and everyone's invited mm-hmm. to this party, but cross that with, 50s movies like House on Haunted Hill and mm-hmm. add some Italian horror stuff yeah. elements to it. There's so much going on here. It's all a lot of fun, too. Sorry, sorry. To, I just had to jump in with that Poe thing. I just, it hit me right away with Mask of the Red Death. It is, um, it's an incredible first issue. It's also an incredible first issue in the same vein as Something is Killing the Children 
or Department of Truth, right? Like James Tynan, like Cullen Bunn, right, has this niche in horror comics, right? Bun, who I also read this week, right? I devoured Basilisk. Oh, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I read that too. Basilisk number one was, I, I read that in like maybe five minutes. I could not. Dude, that's how, that's how long it took me to read it, it too. I read it first thing in the morning. So good. But, you know, same thing, right? Like I, I could read a book and I'm like, this is a Cullen Bunn book, right? I read this book and I was like, this is, is this a James, this is a James Tynan book, right? Like there's something about the pacing. There's something about the slow burn mystery. There's something about the, 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 the hook at the end of this first issue that is just completely jaw dropping. I agree with you. I think that this is a gripping, perfect number one. Um, I am very interested to see how it continues into number two, you know, in, in some world, right. This is a twilight zone episode and yes. it ends at the end of the first issue, you know, like, so, so I'm interested to see what the legs are on this book. Um, and I, I, I you know, you, you have these guests at a, in a house. So you have that, that, that inherent tension there. Um, the artwork is stunning. Yeah, the, uh, the color work the in color particular. work is incredible. You open the book. It looks one way. You turn the page. It looks another, another way. And you almost forget where you started and forgetting where you started is very important for that, that cliffhanger to land. Um, and then of course, as you mentioned, the back third of the book, uh, there's some, some panels that are just like jaw droppingly. Oh God. Um, I could talk about yeah. this book for like yeah. another half hour no, just based on those last couple look, pages. I agree, but I, I'm with you too. Like if you haven't had a chance to read this book, this book, which mind you is from DC comics, right? Yeah, like, DC this, is black a, label. this is a DC black label book, um, which, you know, RIP vertigo, but like, you know, like, right. yeah, th- like that is the vein that we are working in here. Um, you know, I, I read the book and I was like, I couldn't remember. I was like, was this an image book? Was this an aftershock book? Like I, and then I, and then I re- looked it up again and I was like, this is a DC book. So, you know, I, I think that this is tying in having now gone through department of truth, having gone through something is killing the children, having gone through all these works that we've seen him do over the last few years, this is him at his best, right? In terms of structure, in terms of um, medium. And then you pair him with, you know, a, a stellar artist who can, who can kind of keep up with that tension and keep up with that um, uh, high concept. And I, I think it just lands. I think it's a really amazing, amazing first issue and uh, to what I'm assuming and hoping will be an amazing series. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I never know how long anything is anymore. Like, I don't know if this is a limited, if this is an ongoing. No, and I I was reading it too. And I was like, oh, is this like a one shot? Am I going to read 40 pages? And then it was like 20 pages or whatever. Mm. And I was like, damn it, give me more. (laughs) You know, Uh, Aaron, you didn't get to read this, did you? So funny story. I was walking my, my little puppy over the weekend and listening to another podcast that may talk about comics, but I didn't watch listen from the beginning. What? So I listened through this whole <laughs> description of this book telling every detail and everything. Later. And then at the end, they say, yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh. You just ruined the whole book for me. I'm like, and that was my bad because I probably should have listened from the beginning. 
But no, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I know all but about it. But you're all about it. <laughs> you know all the details. You know, it's uh, my, my, this again, this is not a real concern because I don't know where issue two is going. But when I read that first page and she's doing the, the, the mask and the eye thing, and you know, again, it's the first page. So if you look in the preview of the book, it's there. And I'm like, Oh, is this going to be like some other, like, you know, Mad Max, like, you know, kind of dystopian story, blah, 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 into the world stuff. Um, so like, I, I, I do have that little inkling in the back of my head where like this first issue is so kind of like riveting and that, like, you know, like I mentioned before that twilight zone kind of feel and, and you, you're pulling the threads as you're going. I would, I would, I don't want to say disappointed, but I would be kind of like bummed out if it was just like, and now we're on the road looking for gasoline and water and we're wearing our rags and our, we have to wrap our hands to go out. So it's like, I, I would, I would hate for it to kind of devolve into like a, a, a dystopian comic that I could read any other publisher, you know, not that I think it will, but um, that's always in the back of my head when I read these end of the world books. Want to keep, yeah. want to keep the tension level up because that was really palpable here. Did anyone see 10 Cloverfield Lane? Oh, I love oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I what are you talking about? Yeah, I want to go down yep. that road a little bit more. You know, the sort yeah. of the interaction in the of characters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Keep me in the house. I want to see these people unravel, mm-hmm. right? Like the thing that I'm least interested in is the dystopian element. Like that I'm least interested absolutely. in Absolutely. Like, We've seen of enough of that stuff. already. Yeah. Yeah. On the Twitter feed, right? Like, I'll yeah, I'll say this though, I, I, and and we'll talk more about this on my next thing. But like, I'm glad that some of the stuff that is post-apocalyptic or or you know pandemic related or whatever that's coming out is at least doing different stuff with those stories. Well, this particularly goes so many other places that we can't yet yeah. discuss, and that's what makes it. Look, look, here's the thing: when you cook a stew, you're using familiar elements, right? It's broth and vegetables and potatoes and whatever protein you're throwing into it. How you spice it up makes a difference. And that's what mm-hmm. that's what's going on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So listen, I, uh, I'm seeing here that uh, Bobby has just lost power and internet about six minutes ago. But well, he's east. Of, so um, he's east of me. I'm still good. All right. I'm still good. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's just, I'm going to, let's, let's cruise through my last thing okay. here and then we'll hit a few news bits read, and then we read uh, nice house on the lake. That's what we're yes, saying. Yeah. yeah. We're all saying yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Go read the nice house on the lake. Uh, last but not least, I uh, quickly want to talk about Netflix's sweet tooth. <gasps> so this was created by Jim Mickle and Beth Schwartz and based on the vertigo DC comic book series created by, Jeff Lemire, friends, if you have a Netflix account and you're not watching Sweet Tooth, you need to get on it. You need to get on it. It's very different from the comic book series that you know and love or have not read yet, but it is wonderful on every front. The casting for this show is inspired. Everybody from Gus to Jeopard to Wendy to everyone, Dr. Singh and Rena and everybody that's in this show is so perfectly cast. They, uh, the diversity adds a lot to the, the characters uh, in that story. 
and how they come together in the face of an apocalypse. There are some really, really touching moments and some really amazing bonds being formed. I am six episodes in, I believe it's eight. So I've got two left to go. The sets, the sets are gorgeous. There's a lot of stuff that's filmed on location. So it's not as much green screen as you would expect. And it, it shows, it counts for something in this. The fields are incredible. The woods they go into, the stuff that they built, the cabins and the, the kind of like apocalypse, uh, walking dead style neighborhood, the people living in this neighborhood. Oh my God. I know Joey, you've only seen the first episode. Yeah. You're spoiling so, a ton of shit for me right now. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's what I'm he not spoiling anything. I ain't never read the book. I'm only one episode what? in. What? You're, just, you're killing me here. I've never. Read All right. Listen, 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 the, the practical, <laughs> the practical effects are also incredible. I believe, I believe somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Gus's ears are like, practical ears that somebody is operating from off camera with like a little remote controlled thing. Wireless ears? Come on. <laughs> they're, they make him so expressive. He's a hell of an actor. The, the kid playing Gus, he's wonderful. The clips have shown me that. Yeah. It really is perfect. Yeah. The guy playing Jeopard again, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I already mentioned there's some really meaningful relationships here be- between Jeopard and Gus, Dr. Singh and Ronnie. Um, it's very dark at times, but it's never oppressive. There's a lot of hope in Gus, and that seems to be passed on to other people as he spends time with them. And so it makes it kind of a, a very hopeful show where there there are pockets of darkness. The violence is interestingly handled as well because the show does get violent, but it isn't gratuitous in any way. There is blood, but there's never any blood spatter. You just kind of see the blood on the knife. Um, although, if you uh, if you don't like if you don't like fire, <laughs> I've got bad news for you. Um, characters are already growing as the journey continues. This is doing very very well for Netflix. Uh, I really hope that there's going to be a second season. I assume there will be. Um, Netflix has a habit of getting skittish about renewing things, so. I'm just going to keep uh, everything here. Legacy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, the show has got a super menacing villain in uh, near, uh, Neil Sunderland's Stephen Abbott. He is very imposing. He's like he's like what Doctor Robotnik thinks he is or wants to be, uh, and it just ends up looking like a goof. But uh, Stephen Abbott is is just incredible. So. Um, I think my last thoughts are just like the 2020 movie Love and Monsters, which is wonderful, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Uh, It's doing something with a post-apocalyptic setting that I haven't seen before. And it's doing it with dark fantasy and whimsy as opposed to zombies and otherworldly creatures. And I'm all about it. Um, And also, last thing, like having lived through a pandemic, the post-apocalyptic stuff is, like I said earlier, landing a little differently for me these days. And uh, it doesn't feel much like a fantasy setting <laughs> anymore. It kind of feels like this could happen at any given time. Yeah. And so it's adding a little bit of extra intensity to this story. And I think 
the rework of the original series. I will admit, I read it a long time ago. I read it probably during our second or third year of the show. And you all know how crappy my memory is. So I remember bits and pieces. There have been characters that have showed up where I'm like, whoa, don't get attached. But I have no idea if that's going to go on because they have changed the story so radically to fit everything. But it just... It's doing a lot of service to this story. I would love to see Jeff Lemire get the opportunity to do more stuff at Netflix or elsewhere. They've been you know, talking about an underwater welder movie for quite some time. I think Brad Pitt was involved in, in producing that to some extent. Oh, that's um, a throwback. Yeah, I would really, really, if they were going to do anything else on Netflix of his, there's a ton of stuff they could do. I would love to see an adaptation of Essex County. Yeah, man, that's been in the works for years. Well, keep watching Sweet Tooth. Um, You'll see. And uh, yeah, I just absolutely positively in love with it. There has been a lot of great comic book uh, related entertainment on TV this year between WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. We got Loki uh, when you're listening to this on Wednesday, starting up today, which is very exciting. And we've got Sweet Tooth. Umbrella Academy is going to be coming back. There's going to be another season of The Boys. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy, unfortunately, doesn't look like it's getting a second season. It was good, though. I liked the first season. Yeah. No, there were were definitely parts of it that I really enjoyed. I I wish that it was continuing, but apparently it just didn't do well or didn't trend high enough. I don't know. And we have your favorite um, Modoc, Steve. Yeah, yeah Modoc. Uh, look, I gave that show. I gave given it, it two episodes, and it's just not. It's just not there for me yet. Um, I'll probably continue to watch it because I usually go through the the Disney Star stuff every Friday. Um, my my Mighty Ducks Game Changers has come to an end. The season has ended, so I got to wait for that. And uh, it was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. <laughs> it was all right. A little rushed at the end. I don't know what they were thinking. But, um, you know, nostalgic and fun and harmless and whatever. But anyway, uh, Netflix's Sweet Tooth, absolutely amazing. Uh, and speaking of co-writer Woo-hoo. and uh, creator Jim Mickle, we're going to run right into our news portion. Uh, Look at for you, this Mr. Segway. I like that. Yeah, moving right along. Uh, Sweet Tooth's Jim Mickle to helm God Country what? for Legendary. What? Oh, I freaked out. I had to write the article for this today for Joe Blow, and I was just like, you should see the shit-eating grin on my face <laughs> right now. I don't even care if I get in trouble for, for cursing. I won't, though. It's fine. My boss doesn't care. Um, so Jim Mickle, co-creator of Netflix's Sweet Tooth, is partnering with Legendary and Aftershock Media to helm the film adaptation of Donny Cates' acclaimed graphic novel, God Country. Cates is also adapting the screenplay, oh. so you know it's going to be legit. And, oh my god, and there's a whole bunch of producers and whatever. But, my point being, not only is God Country one of my favorite things from the past couple of years, I love that story. Uh, Legendary is a great company. They make, you know, they make fine movies and whatnot. But like after watching Sweet Tooth and seeing how lovingly adapted that story is and the way it looks, Sweet Tooth looks so good. The production values on that show are outrageous. If that level of care is going to be applied to God Country, 
this movie is going to be crazy. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Does anybody else want to jump in? Yes, we all we want to all want to see it, I'm sure. God mm-hmm. Country was on our list. How many years ago was it? Is it 2018? Yeah, I want to say uh, 2017. 2017. Yeah. Just I hate to say on something it is kind of dark, but it is a, was a lot of fun. It was very deep. And mm-hmm. if you're saying the same person who is doing mm-hmm. Sweet Tooth is able to bring us that depth, that's what you want to see. And Donny Cates is involved. So I like his indie work much more than I like his superhero work. So I'm in. I, I know yeah. Aaron will agree with me on this one. One step closer to that crossover series. Am I right? Hello. Live action. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'm all in. <laughs> that would be something. Could you imagine that this is just like a backdoor to get a crossover in live <laughs> action? <laughs> I would love like a live action CGI hybrid for crossover. Go really, really wild. Go, yeah. go total space jam. Well, cross con- cross country. Jesus Christ. God country. I think I'll be really, I'll be really interested to see that first trailer and see how the, what's the name of the sword? Oh, don't do this to uh, me. Oh, yeah, I forget. Uh, it's been it. forever. Uh, anyway, I'll I'll look it up. I'll yeah, look it up. I'll be interested to see how they how they they treat the sword as a character and a voice and an entity in the uh, in the in the in this in the is it a, is it in the film? Um, and I'm glad it's a movie. I, I think that that I think it'll make for a really great film. Valifax. Yes. Valifax. Valifax. Who who voices Valifax? Yeah, Keanu Reeves, Gilbert Godfrey. No, Gilbert no, Godfrey. No. Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> it would be Sam Kinison, but he's passed on. No, <laughs> it would be the guy from um, uh, Police Academy. Michael Winslow. Oh, no. Michael Winslow. Oh no, no, the the guy with the mullet with the voice. What I don't know what we're doing, guys. That guy. Oh, Bobcat Goldquist. Yes, Bobcat. Okay. as the voice of Valifax I can't I'd have to really lean into it as the voice of Valifax the sword Um, Aaron any thoughts really (laughs) jeez come on man you gotta come in a little faster than that nothing thinking I was thinking you asked me if I had any thoughts and I was thinking and I didn't have any thoughts have you read God oh, actually, Country? I did have I, I did have thoughts, um, but not about this. I was actually going to go back <laughs> and, and talk about Bliss. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Eight, I forget, you oh yeah, into, I we forgot to talk about Bliss. Go ahead. Yeah, Aaron. you went into Sweet Tooth. Like, so as I'm like, uh, I sorry, I was really really excited. No, go ahead. No, 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 no. So yeah, I actually caught up on seven and eight uh, this past week. Um, and one thing I will say about about Bliss is that it is. It is beautifully drawn. It is beautifully depicted. The stories, each issue in and of themselves are, are beautifully rendered. You know, the relationship between, you know, father and son and oddly even mother and father in that some bizarre way is beautiful. It is still a complicated book at times to sort of um, understand the narrative. I mean, I, you understand what... The, the general gist of the book is in terms of what bliss is and what bliss makes you do. But the, the, the through line of the various gods and all that stuff, it was kind of complicated to sort of remember if you haven't read it in a little while. 
so mm-hmm. it took me a second, but I really, really, really just enjoyed the, especially that final issue. I really enjoyed um, the perspective. There was that that scene or that 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 stretch when they were going back and forth between the the, the characters that were condemning. Uh, what's his name? Benton. Mm-hmm. What's his yep. name? Uh, they were con- condemning him. Yeah, they were condemning him, and then in one minute they were defending him and just going back and forth, and it was just a sort of complicated mix of emotions, all of which were valid, um, but none of which in and of themselves were a justification for everything, and it was just... I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad... I, I know it's weird to say this. I'm glad it's a contained story. I'm glad that it had mm-hmm. an oh, yeah. I don't think I would have appreciated this being like 20 up 20 issues or 35 issues or something like that. I think it would have run its course and I would have been like, all right, I'm over it. Um, I think it, it, it had the appropriate amount of time to tell the story. I think it had the appropriate opportunity to give you enough of each character without going off the rails. So I, I enjoyed it. Good job. Yeah. I think Sean and, and Caitlin by extension, I think they know when to cap a story they they know what needs to be told and they wrap it up and they're like we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next thing because we have ideas but yeah bliss is bliss is really something special and you know like you were saying about those interview panels where we're getting a different side to benton's story the people that he's harmed and the people that he's helped and everything it adds another layer to his character and it, it makes it difficult for you as the reader to judge him, you know, as, as, as harshly as it would be if he was just a monster and he was just killing people and then drinking something to forget about it. You know, that's yeah, Go ahead. exactly. I mean, I was going to say the whole thing is, yeah. If you're putting yourselves, if you, if you put yourselves into the position of those individuals, like you said, you're, you're, you're just like Jesus Christ. I, you can look at him and feel nothing but rage because of what he did. But then, if you're someone who understands bliss and 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 what transpired, you know, with all the machinations and the manipulations in the background, then you're like, well, he wasn't entirely responsible. But then you're like, well, to a degree, he was. It's it's it was just so. Uh, you didn't. You never really get a resolution. I, mean, I think some <laughs> people probably would be a little bit annoyed that you don't get like a a full blown like. Well, the writer is telling you point blank that this is the absolute absolute right answer, and he's wrong. And the, you know, I, I like that you're sort of still left out there to figure it out on your own. You just get you get perspective. You don't get resolution. Right. All right. It's an amazing Thanks. book. I also yes. read it, finished it out. Uh, I, I Reading that tag on the end, as you were saying, Steve, uh, it was unexpected, moving. Um, yeah, that really, that really hit me. What I've always loved about Sean's work um, and Caitlin's work too with Sean is, is no matter how fanciful or fantastical or sci-fi it gets, there is this like, honesty and intimacy to it even um thumbs you know like i love thumbs and caitlin wasn't with him on that one but but you know like underneath that high hard sci-fi there is just this 
this immediacy and intimacy to the, to the writing and the characters that I just, he's great. He's great. I know he's got a, he's got a drama background, so that might be part of it, but like, you know, I, I, I just think that it's, it's an incredible story. And to Aaron's point, I'm glad that, you know, I can go back and now reread those eight issues and, and get that story, that story of redemption, that story of coming to terms with, again, your father and and family and legacy and all of that stuff. I I think it's a really great book. Yeah, I started reading that like Sunday night around 11 p.m. And I was already in bed and I'm like, all right, maybe I'll read like issues one and two just to get it started. And then I'll wrap it up on Monday since we're moving the recording day. And I stayed up. I read all eight wow. issues, one after the other, just because it was so compelling and so good. And it's beautiful. I wanted to know how it ended. Yeah. It's it, it visually too. Like you said before, you know, Tiarski at her best. And, and I think, yeah, 100%. The way that that book wraps around, this is not a spoiler, but like you talk about the story, the, the end is the beginning kind of thing. I love that. And the way that that first page wraps around to the end of the book and you find out like the continuation of those panels is, is really, really something special and, and well, so good. It's a, it's a hell of a book, hell of a series. Mm-hmm. They really, they really nailed it. It's awesome. All right. Uh, let's go through some, uh, some newsy news. bits back to the news. Uh, Issa Ray from uh, insecure. If you've not seen her in anything, mm-hmm. she's in that. Uh, she is going to be voicing Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, for Into the Spider-Verse, the sequel. Love it. Just love hearing Hell. that's going to happen. I don't know who, who is it. Tell me about Ms. Ray. Um, that is going to be... Yeah? Ahead, what, do you, what do you think of this, Aaron? I'm going to look up the, uh, the cast, see who else they got real quick. That's shock. I love this array. I think she's a comedic genius. She's a writing genius. I think she's certainly, you know, her stock has gone up tenfold, probably, especially over like the last three or four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she she writes the show. Uh, she created the show Insecure. Um, and I think she got her sort of opportunity to, to be in the space. I think she started on YouTube, wasn't it? I think. She had some some stuff on YouTube and she sort of started and sort of it shifted over into Insecure. But um, she is just everywhere right now. But what's interesting to me is she's got a very specific voice, hmm. which I love. But it is not the voice I ever would have thought of for for Jessica Drew. And so now I want to hear it even more. <laughs> so, now, to some people's you know, thoughts, Spider-Woman should have a British accent. Technically, canonically, yes, yeah. but who cares? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me tell you, Issa Rae is not British. Yeah, she's not going to do <laughs> – uh, she might. Who knows? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that uh, it's very clear that, you know, it's – I mean, it's very clear that the Jessica Drew that we're going to get in the end of the Spider-Verse is not going to be the Jessica Drew, yeah. like, on, on yeah. page, right? Okay, uh, but it, for a lot of reasons. A comedic genius, the idea of yeah. a slightly snarky yes. Jessica – I'm in. I don't care what accent yeah, she's going to use. That part of the character, I think, is going to is awesome. going to come come out. Um, which, like, if you like the last couple of series with her and her interactions with Carol, you know, like yeah. that 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 um, that 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 vim and vigor that Jessica Drew brings to the table, I think, will be be there. Awesome, right? Um, 
but this Jessica Drew is going to be black and she's going to be a black woman and I, yeah. and probably American in terms of the accent. And Hey, in terms of into the spider verse, that, that series has all of my goodwill. Uh, that movie is incredible. I could watch it any day of the week. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, first of all, scoring Issa Rae, Awesome. The sequel happening, doubly awesome. awesome. Give it to me now. So confirmed cast members for this movie. It's very, very short. Uh, Shamik Moore is coming back as Miles Morales. Haley Steinfeld as will be back as Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And um, Issa Rae, of course, will be playing Jessica Drew. And uh, who knows? Who else could show up? I want some more Doc Ock. Oh, that'd be so good. That would be amazing. Catherine Hahn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, what do you think Issa Rae doing uh, Jessica Drew means for the uh, what's your face movie? Uh, probably nothing. I don't remember her name right now. Oh, Olivia Wilde. Yeah, her. Oh, nothing. 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 Yeah, I don't. I I don't know that it means anything for that. I think um, first of all, that's got to be more than just Olivia Wilde tweeting out a spider emoji <laughs> for for it to be a real thing. But I think once it is. Um, spider verse is the spider verse, right? Yeah. Like that it gives them the tools to play with those universes any way they want. And to be frank in a meaningful, exciting and kind of compelling way that their live action movies cannot and won't yeah, do. It's a little Amen. more interesting. It's a little more bold because, and you guys talked, I thought expertly about this last week. Because there's a Spider-Man at the center of it. <laughs> like yeah, you, can't, exactly. you can't make Morbius and Craven and all of these yeah. other movies without Spider-Man at the center. So the Spider-Verse movies sense. lets you have not only one Spider-Man, but as many Spider-Man and Spider-Women and Spider-Things as possible at yeah. the center doing battle with these awesome characters. Um, I think Jessica Drew, Issa Rae's Jessica Drew and Into the Spider-Verse will probably fill the uh, schlubby Peter Parker role in the sequel is, is going to be my guess. Mm. I don't think you're going to get that, that, that Peter Parker again, or maybe like in that same kind of mentor role. I think Jessica drew will probably fill that role, especially as like spider Gwen comes more into a kind of maybe a co-lead. Okay. What, what if she's though the college age, little more snappy Peter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I think that I think that she's going to occupy that like Peter Parker role in right. this movie because we already did. We already did Peter Parker. We already did Peter Parker mentor for uh, Miles. So now you need a new mentor, and I think it'll be meaningful for Miles to have a mentor like an Issa Rae, Jessica Drew. Absolutely. Um, uh, there. Right on, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited. One of my favorite comic book movies ever. Maybe even my favorite. I'm. So, so ready. I'm excited to hear who else they, they cast for this. But we all have to wait um, till what twenty twenty three. Yeah. Uh yeah. yeah. I would love if I would love if Aaron Taylor Johnson also played Craven in this into the Spider-Verse Ooh. movie. But was allowed to like do whatever accent and voice and ham it up as much as he wants. Because Aaron Taylor Johnson, I actually think is a funny guy. Yes, and I he think is. like and I think could have a ton of fun in like an Into the Spider-Verse movie. I think that that Craven movie is going to be moody and dark and like, you know, I got my tiger shirt on, you know? it's like right, I, So, so I, what if he comes I, here and does over-the-top uh, Ensign Chekhov Russian accent? Yeah. Really terrible yeah. Russian accent. 
I have a Kramanoff. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. And he could have the Craven right here. He could have it. Oh, the Craven. I love the Craven. Like Aaron Taylor Johnson driving the Craven works in Miles Morales into the Spider-Man. Yes. Does not work in live action right. Jared so Leto team movie. I want it right here and I want some Doreen Green while we're at it. Let's go for it. Let's just go for it. <laughs> All right, super quick. Um, I just I'm throwing this in now. This happened earlier today, on uh, on Tuesday. So we already know that Dwayne Johnson is going to be voicing Crypto, the Super Dog, for DC League yeah. of Super Pets. But today, what a cast! We, yeah, we learned that Kevin Hart will be the voice of Ace the Bat Hound, and then they've not said who other people are playing. But we have also got Kate McKinnon. John Krasinski, Vanessa Bayer, Natasha Leone, Diego Luna, and Keanu Reeves joining the cast of DC League of Super Pets. Keanu is definitely Prody. That's what I'm saying. He's the the blob (laughs) character. That's who Keanu is going to be. I'm wondering if either Kate McKinnon or – actually, I don't know who's going to be streaky. I'd I'd say Kate is streaky. You think so? Okay. I All love right. that The Rock just carries Kevin Hart around in his back pocket. And <laughs> I know. Like, like, hey, man, let's do another movie together. <laughs> I love Kevin Hart like, to I, an extent. I, I just realized that once I get to Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, Kevin Hart has a just extraneous cameo in that movie. He does. For no reason. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so that's super quick. Those just Those are some names. Uh, we'll be watching that one to see what um, who gets assigned to which character. Uh, moving right along, some more Donny Cates news. Uh, Donny Cates and Ryan Otley are going to be launching a Hulk series for Marvel Comics, of course, alongside Frank Martin. And the one word that Donny Cates has tweeted out about this to tease people is the word smashtronaut. So I think Hulk might be going to space. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before, before we go around the table, if we even need to, um, John wanted to make sure that I tell everybody that listens to the show that he is just super, super excited for this series. He cannot wait to pick it up. So we've got one. That's uh, that's all in. Anybody else interested? What's the so wait? So who's doing the Venom book? Uh, Venom is going to be Al Ewing, uh, Rom V, and Brian Hitch. So Al and Donnie are just flip flopping. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it's going to be a, a a bold new direction for Venom. They're going to be. I don't know if they're abandoning all of the Kate stuff but they're going to be taking him in a different direction. And I got to tell you, it looks like Venom's going to space in this teaser. Image, what are they, so, so I don't Venom know. Venom and Hulk are going to space. Okay. I, sure. I, sure. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of Venoms on this preview page and Look, they are definitely in space. Look, man, if you're into it, you're into it. Right. Go for it. Exactly. I'm not going to uh, yuck on anyone's yum to quote Joey Petrino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, John's really into this one too. He loves Venom, and he loves he loves the idea of jumping onto this too. He's going to buy all the issues. Uh, he wanted to make sure that you know that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, am I kidding? You don't know. Last but not least, Loki Charms. Woo-hoo! 
They're mischievously delicious. Marvel is teaming with General Mills <laughs> to do a limited edition run. If you listen to this podcast too, early it's, enough it's in maybe, the morning. I think it's too late already. It starts at, not, not really, no. If you're a, well, eh, it's, um, oh my God. What is, no, I'm not going to ask. It's early, all right? Let's just say it's real yeah. early. Um, you got to go to mischievouslydelicious.com to get your hands on as many of the only 3,500 boxes of Loki charms that are going to be dedicated to this website. Uh, this website's been up for a while that you, if you can crack the code, you might be able to get a box early. Let me tell you something, friends. Ain't nobody getting a box of Loki charms. <laughs> Because 3,500 boxes for Marvel fans is nothing. <laughs> it's see, nothing. They're on eBay already. Oh, yeah, these, these will be gone and these will be sold to the highest bidder on resale sites in no time. I would actually be interested to check back in with this next week yeah. just to see how it's going because <laughs> – I like the box art is awesome. The yeah. little commercial movie thing that they put out yeah. for it is fun. And uh, yeah. hey, I bought a box of Lucky Charms a couple of months ago, and those things are still good. Yeah, they had, they had yeah. a, a picture of, of Tom Hiddleston in a supermarket holding up the box. And yeah. that's that's yeah. that's lousy in a way because you can't go to the supermarket. This isn't like finding Wonder Woman SpaghettiOs or something. They're not going to be in the stores. You know what's interesting is that Lucky Charms are like having a time right now because I swear I was in the supermarket two days ago and there is some kind of special edition Lucky Charms uh -oh. sitting at like the end cap of my local grocery. And it's like, again, Lucky Charms going to space. It's like Lucky Charms universe or something like that. Now, does, does, and does, does it still have stars and charms and rainbows and stuff? It does, it? but it's got like it's got rockets and satellites, wow. and the the box art is all different and shiny. Okay. And yeah, it's it's pretty cool actually. I almost bought a box. Look, man, like can we also talk about how game Tom Hiddleston is for all of this nonsense? Yeah, like, that's true. He, yes. Like he's he he just I think of all the actors who I, again the Marvel movies i think they cast some really great people and for the most part they seem to be having a super fun time making these movies yeah. but hiddleston has always felt like he just totally loves it he'll do any stupid gag or gimmick or like he'll yeah. do any interview there was like this featurette i think marvel tweeted out today or something and it was like owen wilson talking about being in the movie and cracking his own wilson jokes and then he'll be like yeah and then tom came and he gave like a loki lecture and he was like, <laughs> nice. and, and like and, and he was like yeah like, wow. wow and like yeah like tom would come every day and he'd tell us everything about the marvel movies and he'd get up and he'd talk for half an hour about his character and this and that and this backstory and this and i'm like tom is such a nerd and he's so into it like i think i think he's great and i'm so happy that he's got this show and he gets to be in the limelight finally um getting spotlight a little bit yep absolutely are we hoping the cereal has little tesseracts in it <laughs> that would be perfect a little blue tesseract they would just all they would need to do is the blue diamonds right. and they'd be like turn them on its side and there you go <laughs> just make them square them off a little bit you're good to go yeah, um, someone at because you know there's going to be someone I can guarantee you someone at New York Comic Con with like a stand of, of, of Loki, Loki charm of, of Loki charm. You know, 
What's interesting, I'm looking at the box art for the Loki charms right now. <laughs> and I don't know if this is final box art, but we don't have any special pieces in here that I can see. You got red balloons, yellow stars, rainbows, red, uh, the pink hearts, the uh, purple clovers. horseshoe, the blue, yeah, green clovers and the blue moons. And I don't know what I don't know what the hell this is. Maybe this is a special Loki piece. This thing looks like a like a piece of birthday cake that somebody sat on. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know what this is. Oh, it's a it's a unicorn. Oh, since when do they have unicorns? I haven't had Lucky Charms in like 30 years, so I can't tell you. I'm really glad that I figured that out. It's totally a unicorn. I like the smoosh cake. The smoosh cake. Yeah. I look. I I love me some Lucky Charms. I just it was it was either Lucky Charms or Sugar Crisp, and Ooh, you know that was a good. Idea. I had to make a choice. I'm a ca- can't get enough of that Golden Crisp. Captain Crunch guy over here. Oh, I can't do Captain Crunch. Too crazy, Brian. Come on, what are, you, raisin raisin what are you an adult, Joey? Come on. Hey, we got one box for the family. It was Raisin Bran. All right. <laughs> Listen, Bob. Joey needs his two scoops. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for news. Am I missing it? Oh, uh, no, no, we did. Oh, yeah, we did everything. Lock it down. Lock it down. All right, cool. Um, we got a, a quick question here from uh, from a listener, and then we're going to talk about our books. So this one comes from Jesper, all the way from Sweden. Very, very Ooh. cool. Hey, gang, I am writing to you from Sweden as a fan for a couple of years now. That's awesome. Uh, I have a question for you. I have been looking for comic book covers to put up on my wall, but can't find any. Not on the internet, not at my local comic book shop. I just want the cover, not the entire issue, for example. I'm looking for Russell Dowderman's Mighty Thor cover. Do you have uh, some tips on how to buy only covers? Love the show, Jesper. Okay, so I think Joey is going to be able to help you out uh, a little bit more in this department. But um, some some artwork and some covers are definitely available for sale online. I don't know what your shipping situation is, but uh, there are definitely ways that you can procure certain comic book issues as posters. Joey, you want to take the ball here a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were looking up stuff, and it's interesting because every week I go through the previews, previews worlds, right, and the previews magazine and all that stuff um, to like talk about what the new releases are for the week. And a lot of the publishers, particularly Marvel and DC, like the big two, they will put out special poster sized editions of some of their big covers, like this mighty Thor one, number Mm. one, big Russell Dodderman cover. The thing is though, that I don't think it's the kind of thing that shops will often order in bulk, right? Unless they're ordered. So like, you know, it's the kind of thing that like, if you go to your shop and you're like, do you have the Mighty Thor poster? They'll probably be like, bro, what? Um, but they're there and you can order them um, online. I think like other, there are other options like you, Previous World, you might be able to get it like at marvel.com. You might be able to pre-order it there too. Um, there are other options too. If you want to go like super expensive route, like as we all know from going to cons, like, you know, you get prints from the artists mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, commissions are a wholly other kind of stratosphere of expense. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that are on my walls. Things that I picked up at cons things that like my comic book shop, like did have like 
you know, extra Daredevil posters or whatever. And they were like, hey, you bought Daredevil number one. Here it is. Um, but, you know, a, a, a search of, of like those catalogs sometimes will pull up um, poster sizes of those covers. Now, they don't do them for every cover. So, you know, it's like really those those big, big number ones or like big iconic covers that they'll have those poster editions. I always see them mm-hmm. when I'm going through the previews catalog, you know, like poster variant of X-Men number one. And sometimes I'm always like, oh, my gosh, there's Daredevil number one coming out this week. But it'll just be like the stupid poster version of it. And I'm like, no, I wanted the book, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, you just got to check that previews world. Uh, they might have it. Yeah, as you, you know what I got the other. Oh, go, oh, go ahead, Bob. Go, Steve. It's super quick. When I got the other dog, uh, not the other day, but uh, however long it was that I picked up Reckless, uh, the Ed Brew Baker joint, uh, I got a drink coaster along with my purchase, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Anyway, Bob, you were saying, well, Joey, you're definitely right. Sometimes it is if you're just a really good customer, you're going to get lucky with a promo. But it is a very varied sort of thing as to which books. It's the ones with 37 covers. You might get some posters. For a store, very often they'll ship one poster in a box mm-hmm. and charge you $8 to ship it. Yeah. And so the store is really at a loss unless, you, even if you order in advance, it could end up being cost prohibitive. So cons are a, are a great benefit, but I, the last New York Comic Con, I managed to get some time with Phil Jimenez, who had done a wraparound cover for Sensation Comics number one that showed every version of Wonder Woman across the ages, similarly to what Dowderman's Thor cover was. And DC never offered it as a print. It was a variant book that was one in 500. It's never been a t-shirt. It's never been anything. And you didn't hear me say this, Jasper. I found an image on the internet and had it printed up in color at my local library and had Phil sign it. (gasps) Bob. Well, that was going to be my other thing, too, is, you know, like... Worst comes to worst, you could you could print it yourself. I'm not making a profit. Aaron, no one made a profit on no, it. Yeah, no one's making a profit. I know. I'm only kidding around. Aaron, do you have anything to uh, contribute to this? Did he disappear? No, Aaron's here. I see him. I don't know why. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can hear you. All right, my bad. Okay. Um, there was a loud boom outside, so I don't know if maybe the thunderstorm is coming. But I was just going to say, the only thing I could think of, the only place I actually even know of to get any of that stuff is at cons and things of that nature or something yeah. kind of adjacent. So I don't. Yeah, well, because, uh, it's, you know, like Bob said, it's expensive to ship. And they're, they're, they're like, they're, they're not cheap either. So if I'm a shop, I'm not going to order it unless it comes with my comics order, right? Yeah. Like. Which I think is why I get some of those random posters sometimes. It'll be like, yeah, like they sent us this Daredevil poster with our Daredevil order. So like, you want it? I'll be like, yeah, give it to me. Um, And then it sits in my long box forever and I never hang it up. But, uh, you know, so, but if you order it or if you order it directly to you, you know, there it is. I have so many awesome posters from back when I had my apartment before I moved to Canada. that are just sitting rolled up in a tube. Oh, you you got to put them up. Yeah, I have some really good ones. I was I was going through them a few weeks ago when I was cleaning the basement, and I'm like, damn! Like one, 
I don't know where I would hang any of this stuff. And two, I never hang anything. I always wait until my brother-in-law comes over and I let them do it. <laughs> He's an architect and he like measures where, everything okay. out. Yeah. yeah. Like he, he brings out the level, the whole bit. And I'm like, man, this is intimidating. Like I can't try to hang anything in my own house after you come by. What is this? Well, Steve, you've seen my house. I have, I had a lot of stuff hanging last time you were here, but not as much as now. There are 50. You still have my drawing? Yes. It's hanging in my kitchen. I and like th- there's, there's another one, a Cthulhu that's sitting in a frame in with all my Lovecraft books, by the way. That you actually, I think you drew on wrapping paper for me, no less. But um, <laughs> yeah. once it was my house to do what I wanted, I just hung everything I bought at cons and so on. But some of them were posters from way, way back. So I'm looking at right now an Alex Ross version of FF number one that hangs in my living room. Oh, my oh, wow. goodness. That must be gorgeous. And it's sitting next to a John Byrne. It's the hundred first hundred issues of FF. It's all the characters in a, in a giant group shot. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Next to it. But at some level, my favorite is this. It's back with my books, and I, I managed to get them both to sign it. It's the cover of FF1 by Mike and Laura Allred. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And it's two by three, and it's, it's hanging in the back. You find these things, you grab them. That was a promo at the store. And I went, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And wait, Allred's at the special edition con? I'm bringing this poster. I'm going to get this signed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. And he was thrilled to see it because who's going to bring that up? How many people, how many stores got that? Not many. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go through some of the stuff and I'm going to maybe switch out what I've got in these frames. That's how you I've do got it. this. Uh, Change it up. Ca- yeah. Yeah. I got this Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye mondo print awesome. and another uh, a mother panic mondo print that I've got. But like they've been up for about four years. I think it's time. I'll uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I pick. All right. Speaking of picking things out, let's uh, talk about the books that we are picking up this week. Bob, what are you getting? Nothing. No, really? I'm getting Wonder Woman 773 Mm -hmm. and maybe some leftovers. And that's it because stuff got moved. That said, I have come across a creator named Whitney Gardner. Oh, yeah. And I have, from my library, one of her books, which is called Fake Blood. But I mm-hmm. I have an advanced look at her next one called Long Distance, which I'll talk about next week. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. I'm with the scoops recent weeks. Yeah. Erin, mm. what are you picking up? Well, I know, I know one thing you're picking up. Well, you don't know my life. I thought we were friends There there is a book Coming out Well I think it's coming out It was I think it was supposed to come out several weeks ago From Black Mass Studios called White Number one it's by you know It's in the same universe as the Black AF books and all that stuff So we'll see Mm -hmm. if it comes out I don't know Um, But then we have uh, There's that DC Pride number one book Mm -hmm. Um, I'll, I'll keep you posted uh, Justice League Last Ride, I think, is coming out. Uh, Children of the Atom number four, Strange Academy number eleven, which I, you know, and I love. Uh, Spider Man, uh, Spider Shadow number three. I think I'm going to give it, a, you know, keep going with it. 
um, Excalibur number 21, uh, X-Men number 21, because, you know, as uh, Marvel said on their site, Storm came to slay. So I got to see what she's going to be rocking at the uh, gala. Uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman 773. And, of course, Fire Sector number 12. There oh, it is. That's it. That's it. Pour one out. The finale. Out. I will read Fire Sector and then go lean up against the bar at the uh, Hellfire Gala and have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> so send me an internet toast i'll give it back to you no problem exactly awesome one out joey what are you doing a lot of what's been mentioned the x-men books children of the atom um dc pride uh i'll probably also check out eve number two i like the first issue um orcs number five one yeah. seven seven three detective uh, uh detective comics I, I really like as a companion to batman i think it's really great i think mariko tamaki and Dan are on that um good asian number two yes and uh and a graphic novel from idw top shelf called delicacy uh, about Ooh. restaurant the 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 cut the cutthroat uh restaurateur life so i'll definitely check that out idw top shelf um it's got a pretty good track record for me so i always like to check out their graphic novels hey what right. was that series we read some years back about uh, a young person want to work in a restaurant was it feed food what was that oh didn't that didn't that get twisted wasn't there something weird about that one? Yeah, eventually. But I know we read the first one and loved it, and then it sort of went off the rails. But I remember reading oh. the first one and loved it. What was, was it Feed? It sounds like it. It sounds like yeah. that. But this, I'll look it up. Huh. This new one sounds like something we want to get to. I like that. I like the idea. The cutthroat. Interesting. Having, having watched lots of Gordon Ramsay, I'm all in. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, How about you, Steve? Right, what's, from- what's for you this week? For me, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's been mentioned, Detective, Wonder Woman, the X stuff, Strange Academy, of course, uh, Orcs, loving, loving that series. Also loving Proctor Valley Road. That has been a, a treat. Uh, yeah, I think, Bob, I think you would really okay. appreciate that one as well. Um, maybe pick it up once it's collected. I don't know how long it is, but I don't think it's going to be too much longer. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's very cool. Um, Carmen. Number four Ooh. comes out this week, uh, as well as Die number 17. Uh, I'm buying them, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until it's all wrapped up. And then uh, I'm going to read the whole thing from beginning to end and uh, think that I might be doing a special uh, podcast with the Whiskey Geeks for the Die Marathon. We're going to pair it with a uh, uh, with an alcohol. What, go, and talk what would about go it. with Die? Oh, you would have to ask them. Okay. They know their stuff. I am a total novice <laughs> when when talking. I'm uh, thinking a very old single malt. That's what I'm thinking. Ah, maybe I'll suggest yeah, that. Yeah, you should. Uh, I'm also picking up The Good Asian because I really liked that first issue. And uh, I think that's it for me. Uh, and I, I picked up a bunch of uh, – I picked up a couple of things uh, today from, from DC and whatnot and a couple of things – that were on sale. Um, what did I get? Oh, I got that. Um, what was that? Something, something tea garden. Uh, Melissa brought it to the podcast. Oh, Snapdragon tea garden. Something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's it's good. Sale. It's good. The dollar 75. Yeah. To, to pick up the whole thing. So I'm going to read that. Um, and then there's another volume that was only a dollar 75 that I grabbed. There's a couple of sales going on right now. It's a, and, it's uh, a Oni press book, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, I would have preferred the hardcover, but it's it's so difficult to get to the to the shops. The hardcover is cute. Yeah, I'm gonna. I got my uh, what I still need to read that Jess brought to the show. Um, something Aquacorn Cove. Aquacorn Cove. Aquacorn Cove is also great. I gotta read that. I have that. I've had that downstairs forever. I think I gotta, Jess and I bought both of those books at the New York Comic Con at the same time. <laughs> nice, amazing. I need to make a pile. I need to make a pile. And oh, and I picked up uh, "Friend of the Devil," the second uh, Reckless book. I'm gonna read that too. The second um, one's better. All right, I I, I like the first the one. First too, one so is great. I thought better, the but... second one went places. I really liked it. Awesome. All right. Does anybody have any uh, closing statements or any birthdays or anything they want to wish? Very quickly. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, you go first. I'll go very quickly. I just want to say, because uh, I don't know if y'all talked about it on the show, but I think two weeks ago, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther run ended in a galactic uh, empire of Wakanda. I mm-hmm. caught up, read it. It was awesome. I missed the show, so I didn't get a chance to talk about it. It's fantastic. If you if you read his first volume, didn't read the second volume, please do so. It is an incredible 25-issue run that that sticks the landing perfectly. The last issue is just on a on a scale that I, I don't get the chance to read often in, in comics. Um, and Chris has an awesome kind of retrospective and, and, and review of, of issue 25 and, and the last 25 issues up on the website that you can check out too. So uh, Black Panther was awesome. So yeah. read it if you didn't. And, and his cap comes to an end next month. Mm-hmm. Another long form story. Wonderful, wonderful get by Marvel to get such a brilliant writer to do two iconic characters. Awesome. As to my other right, little, my other little statement was to just say a big thanks to James and Hunter over at Android's amazing podcast for oh yes having, yes having yes. me come on to their hundredth episode that either wonderfully or sadly I turned into a talking comics two hour and forty minute extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you. I heard you recycling some material I on that sure show. Sure did because they asked the the questions they they never heard <laughs> the answers to. I know they're going to go down the Wonder Woman road. They're going to hear about it. I listened to it. I listened to it. It was good. It was good. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, and and they do a great job. Yeah, go and uh, go and check that out. Absolutely. All right, uh, Aaron, you got anything you want to uh, say? Always nothing. (laughs) You keep catching me like at these times. I'm like, I literally have nothing to say. This is when he reaches. Aaron's just got his feet up, put us on mute, eating grapes, (laughs) petting the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Giving myself a pedicure. Having some Dr. Claw moments over there. All right. We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. And we've got talkingcomicbooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. Again, thank you to all of our friends, fans, and creators for sending your audio files. We're recording this on Tuesday. We're recording that show over the weekend. If you can somehow send us something in the next 48 hours, we might be able to include it in the rounds. But other than that, those are locked and loaded, and we can't wait to play them for you and react to them on that show. And uh, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Still, old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. 
Joey. At Joey Bertino. Aaron. At Aaron J. Amos. See, I was ready that time. <laughs> uh, I believe John Burkle is at John Burkle. John nope, P. at Bur- John P. Burkle. P. Burkle. Steve, there we you go. know, we've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> Listen, okay? okay? I don't have it written down. If I don't have it written down, it just gets recycled. It goes right out the window. All right. I'm at dead underscore anchorus on Twitter. Hey, at least I remember to tell everybody how excited he is about Hulk and Mother. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So pre-ordered everything, the whole bit. So excited. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> so, don't ask him. Don't ask him about the reading order for Hellfire Gala, though. That's uh gets sticky ooh. sometimes for him there. Wow. Part of that part of that misinformation movement over there. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get so many messages tomorrow after he hears this show. So for Bob Well, since it was Levi Stubbs' birthday, just look over your shoulder. I'll be there. Aw, for Joey. Bye. For Aaron. Just like Sue Storm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Working not too fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. Continued.